Okay, welcome to another episode of JavaScript Ever. I will be hosting us today, I suppose, since Chuck's not here. My name is Amy Knight, and I have with me Aaron Frost. Hello. And Chris Ferdinandi. Hey, it's the Vanilla JS guy. And Ryan Duffy is our guest. This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at javascriptjabber.com slash kendo UI. You want to introduce yourself? Sure. Yeah. Uh, my name is Ryan Duffy. I work for LG Electronics and I work on the Enact.js framework. Awesome. That's what we're talking about today. Yes. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what that is? Sure. That's a great place to start. Uh, so the Enact framework is sort of, it's the third generation of web framework that supports apps running on WebOS. So when WebOS first came out, uh, there was a, a framework called Mojo that was built around HTML templates attached with JavaScript for behavior. Um, that was followed up by the Enyo framework, uh, which is uh, when I actually joined the team was in the middle of, of that work. And that was like a, a wholly JavaScript-centric kind of approach. Uh, and then about two years ago, I think, um, we started building an act, uh, which has been built on top of React and then provides the the framework that the applications running on WebOS TVs use. So that's sort of the background of Enact and why it exists. Okay, cool. I'd kind of be curious, can you back up and explain what WebOS is? Sure. Yeah, so um, WebOS was created by Palm. I'm not going to know the dates because it predates me being on the team. Um, but so when they when they created their Palm pre-phone and the related, uh, that was the underlying OS that that support of that. So it's um, an instance of Chromium or several instances of Chromium running on device um, with some supporting service layer stuff. And uh, the apps all then run within that um, sort of customized version of Chromium on device. Mm -hmm. It got big when um, iOS was new and when Android was just getting new yeah. too. So it was kind of there at the time when it needed to be there, right? Yeah, it just didn't quite... Uh, get the adoption that they needed it to make it successful in the phone space at least. Yeah. But the people who liked it loved it. Oh yeah. It's got I had a, some friends that loved it. it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how I got into it in the first place. So I, I started building apps for uh, WebOS phones. Uh, not, not right at the beginning. Uh, my sister actually, I don't even know why got a Palm Pre on Sprint when they first came out and I was playing with it at I think the hospital, when one of my kids was born, she came to visit our kids and I was messing around on her phone going, I, I just I just love this idea of building apps from the web. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started building apps in Mojo and then in Enyo. And this, just the, the flexibility and ease coming from a web development background to then be able to make dynamic native feeling apps was, was really intriguing to me. Yeah. Well, cool. So Amy, that's, that's WebOS. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, that yeah. was my first question. <laughs> okay. And it's take a, a brief history lesson for yeah. people who maybe weren't familiar. And it's still here, even though it kind of backgrounded for a few years and now it's back. You're saying it's running on like televisions. What else is it running on? Uh, so TVs is the main consumption right now. Um, okay. If you've seen, there are a, a series of robots like um, 
there was concierge robots and, and things like that. There were some at Olympics in Seoul this last year. And I think mm. there are in a couple airports as well that LG has built that has that runs WebOS on those. Mm. Um, there was a really brief hint of a WebOS watch that was supposedly going to exist and then never actually existed. Mm. Uh, LG is experimenting with WebOS in a lot of different places internally. Not all of them have gotten to market yet, um, but I think that there we're going to continue to see more devices that run, especially consumer electronics devices that run WebOS as their sort of underpinnings. Mm. Cool. All right. So um, you're in-house at, at the at LG yeah. and you're working on, uh, it sounds like you said it was the third generation framework for LG and you've built a framework that maybe is internal, internally at LG, it's big. Is that true or? Yeah, it's used. I mean, it's the primary framework for apps running on WebOS. So most okay. of what you'll see there is built using an act. So if I'm a third party person, do I have to use an actor or do, do most people choose to use an actor? What, what, what's, what's the adoption like from non LG people? Well, I don't know that the uh, adoption rate for pe people building TV apps is all that large. Yeah. It's not the first thing that people think of. Yeah. Uh, so, but, but there definitely is, there definitely is a market for those that are building apps that, I mean, an act is, is the, the standard for it. Okay. I don't know. I think we should do a whole track at NGConf about building TV apps. What do you think, Aaron? Yep. An act at NGConf. Uh-huh. With Ryan Duffy. <laughs> hey, Joe, when did you sneak on? I'm, just, I'm sneaking. I'm like a ninja. <sighs> I'm half ninja, actually. Yeah. He has, <laughs> he has pass without trace uh, going. <laughs> Drop it a little D&D &D reference, uh, right? D &D a little of the podcast. Yeah, he's a druid. Just uh, was over at my house last night playing D&D. &D. Yeah. Oh, man. Sorry, guys. I'm a Magic the Gathering guy. Come on. <laughs> I Come like on. spending obscene amounts of money on my hobbies. Wow. Oh, yeah. that's a good, idea. Good, good point. Good point. Touché. Well, the invite is open. Any Monday night, you're welcome to show up. I, ha I have legitimately been wanting to learn, so um, I don't want to derail us. I have a, it's my superpower. <laughs> Too um, late. <laughs> Too late. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Um, yeah. So. No, I'm really intrigued by this. Okay, so we've got WebOS. It's back. It's big. It sounds like it's healthy. I mean, I haven't heard about it a long time, so I didn't know it was healthy. But what you're telling me, Ryan, is it's healthy at LG. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then it sounds like they're betting on it. Like if it's in their latest robots and concierge bots and stuff like that, and it's in their televisions and possibly even watches, like sounds like LG is still investing in WebOS heavily. Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay, totally. Cool. So um, there's, there's, a couple, there's a couple teams in play. So when, so for those who don't know the, the storied history of, of WebOS. It started with Palm. Palm sold their uh, all their IP and assets and stuff to HP when they released the touchpad. So that was the tablet that was running WebOS. It was yep, I remember right for a whole two weeks or something. Yeah. Uh, and they, like I remember they went on slick deals for like um it was like zero cents basically. And everyone bought them real quick. It was yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah. They were short-lived. And yeah. then from HP, that's where LG got it. And so the the team that that started was all in California in Santa or in Sunnyvale originally with Palm and now in Santa Clara where my team is now. Um, mm -hmm. But then there's also a really big contingent of um, engineers in Korea where LG is based mm -hmm. also doing a lot of engineering. So there's sort of like an R and D arm here and then an implementation arm product arm over in Korea. Okay. Um, there's, there's, you know, a, a big group of blink engineers that work in the Chromium space and, and work on that side and then a whole bunch of app developers that actually build the apps you see. So as the app development side of the business goes, you're kind of um, like the stack team for them. You 
you guys build probably what they're calling their stack internally. Is that what's, is that kind of how you fit into LG? Yeah. Yeah. So between us and the Blink team in Santa Clara, you know, we, we sort of form the, the foundation for all the apps and we decide working with the app teams and the UX designers, sort of what, what do the components look like? How, what's the menu they can pick from to build their apps? And then the app teams over in Korea then decide based on that, picking from that menu, deciding how they're going to build their app. Hmm. And by Blink team, are you actually talking about Chromium, like Blink or what are you talking about by Blink team? Yeah. So the, the engineers work with... Um, Google? Yeah, they, they do integrate with Google, but it's, yeah, it's using an LG customized version of Chromium. They call okay, them Blink gotcha. team, so that's what comes into my brain. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I just wanted to see. I, th- I figured it wasn't the Blink team. Not the Blink like, team. Like Google's not building this, but I figured it was yeah. a different Blink team. Okay. But there is a fair amount of upstreaming that happens from the work that our team does back into, into Chromium. The Chromium project. So there's, oh, cool. a, there's a two direction thing going there. Oh, awesome. Um, okay, so... You're a top, a top? Are you on the top or are you just like plugged into the team? Uh, I am one of the two managers for the team. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So you've been, on, you've been on this stack team for how long? Four years and some change. Oh, cool. So how's the evolution of your stack? You, you, now you have this well thought out um, framework built on top of React. How's it evolved over time? Yeah. So um, when, when the team built Enya, which was a little before I joined when they did all that initial work, they were really sold on this idea of component architectures. And, and Enya, I think, did a really good job of doing that decoupling to build components to build apps. And so everything in the Enya framework was a component. Even the apps were a component that you could then plug back into other apps. I mean, it was, it was very much like a you know, building block kind of system. And the thing that we discovered over time, um, so when Enya was built, a lot of the things that I think people who are taking development now or starting development now take for granted didn't exist then. There wasn't Babel and Webpack and all these mm-hmm. this tooling infrastructure that make building single page apps possible didn't exist when, they, when Enya was made. So they built a lot of those things themselves. They had their own bundler system and they had their own tooling and they had all these, um, they had their own sort of, I'll, I'll use the term virtual DOM just to pair it with React, but this own internal data model for the components mm. that they had to make because it didn't exist. And so they were solving those kinds of problems. And then when we, when we decided that we needed to make a change because the, the kind of stuff we were building was good, but there was this whole ecosystem that existed now that had made improvements and had, had built all these new tools that, to enable development that we wanted to take advantage of. And we didn't really have a way to do it with Enyo because we sort of had our own method for it all. So he said, well, let's do some analysis, figure out what's out there. Let's look at the frameworks that exist and try to make a a good decision about how we can move forward to start to use this really robust ecosystem for Mm -hmm. our advantage and then contribute back some new stuff that we can build based on our expertise. And so that's where really an act came from is that during that analysis, we said, well, let's, you know, based on, you know, React's adoption and you know, the capabilities that provided and you know, how popular and widespread it was. Like we felt like that was really the best tool for our job. And so we took all the component library and stuff that we had made on Enyo and ported that then onto a new framework using the React tool set. Well, okay. So Enyo ceased to exist and turned into Enact. Like what did that, when did that happen? So, I mean, Enyo is still around and, and if you're using a TV from, well, even TVs that probably came out this year, you're probably 
using some apps that are written in Enyo still because none mm-hmm. of it migrated when we built it. Um, but we started an act in the spring of 2016. So we're, we're two years in now doing some change and we're on version 227, I think is the latest thereabouts. Okay, cool. So the, the broader React community, they use Create React app to create a new app. Do you internally with Enact have kind of an Enact to enact a new app? And like, do you guys have the similar... Create Enact app? Create Enact app, yeah. yeah. CR Crenap? <laughs> Crenap. Yeah. Uh, that's a great question. So we've got um, a guy on our team, Jason, that has really been our tooling and automation expert. And he's, he's driven what's, a lot of that work. What's his Twitter handle? Oh, Jay you Canuck, know? I think. Jay Canuck, all right. Props to Jay Canuck. Go <laughs> ahead. Sorry, go ahead. And so he, so there's, there's a couple parts to the question. So we have a, a lot of unique requirements that revolve around what it means to build apps for the TV around, let's, so one of the features that we've built into the TV launcher is using V8 Snapshot, which for those not familiar, that it's a capability built into V8 to basically load all the JavaScript into memory and then take a snapshot of that memory and then just load that snapshot. So it's a lot faster load time. Mm. Um, so Jason, working with our Chromium experts, you know, built that capability into our tooling so that when you compile an app, you can pre-render it, you can generate a V8 snapshot of the file, and then that can be loaded by uh, the TV to quickly launch the app. So, mm. so we have our own CLI tooling that, that Jason, Jason has built primarily by himself that does that work and does a lot of the stuff that Create React App does. Some of it was stolen wholesale. Some of it was new stuff. So we, we've done a lot of work around that. And so there's, there are things like Create React App built into the CLI to, to generate you know, new app scaffoldings based on templates and such. Um, I think our, our longer term goal and one of the things that we're really focusing on both from the tooling and the framework side is to increase our compatibility with the frame, with the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So how can we take the stuff that we <clears throat> built for our specific purposes and generalize them so that anybody can use them within the context of things like create racked up, which everyone's already familiar with. Yep. Cool. So um, yeah, I, I, after I asked that question, I looked it up. You do have an act slash CLI. So you yep. have a CLI. Cool. Yep. And um, like if I'm, if I'm a third party and I'm like, yeah, hey, I'm going to build an, I want to build something for the TV. Do I use the Enact CLI to create my project and also to kind of get it ready to deploy into your app store and stuff? So there, there's that, that's for the app side. Yeah. You would use CLI to build it, compile it, bundle it up. Um, there's, there's another piece of tooling from the WebOS SDK that you have to do to actually, you know, bundle it for delivery on the TV. Oh yeah. Uh, but we've, because, you know, our primary consumers are TV app developers in Korea, the templates that we built for CLI work right into that. So it's really just a matter of you build your app, you test it fully in Chrome. Most, mm-hmm. of, most of our development is done just in a normal instance of Chrome. You bundle it up and deploy it to the TV. Oh, cool. So it sounds like React was a natural decision for your team based on the fact that you'd gone, you know, kind of fallen in love. It sounds like you guys were, yeah, component architectures are a thing. So it sounds like at the time when you're starting this project, React was just like exactly what you were looking for. Is that true or am I, am I putting words yeah. in? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we looked at, we looked at quite a few different frameworks. So um, we, we spent some time looking at Vue. Um, at the moment, I Backbone? remember... 
Was that you did there? not look at Backbone. <laughs> oh, Lord. jQuery was pretty big, but uh, he said he said frameworks, Joe. <laughs> That's right. It's a library. Marionette. Marionette. There you go. Uh, we looked at Vue, and at the point we were making the decision, um, the 2.0 version of Vue was not yet announced, and it was sometime in the future. And so we we effectively say, well, Vue could be great, but it's not here now, and we've got to make a decision now. So. It literally sounds like you're describing Angular for about five years. Sure. The 2.0 is sometime here and sometime in the future, but not yeah. here now. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So Vue, it wasn't Vue. Yeah. And we looked at, um, so we looked at Polymer too, um, and it was still right. relatively new then as well. And it was component-based like what you already had. So I'm guessing you guys gave that a serious look. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, well, me personally, I, I'm... I've been writing code for the web for way too long, and I actually kind of makes me sad to have to run through bid, build tooling to run an app. I just want to like type in the browser and have it work. Mm-hmm. So the idea of using native utilities is really attractive to me. Um, yeah. So the, this idea of having web components that you know support is built into the browser and having it just take advantage of those capabilities is really great. Again, at the time we were doing it, it wasn't it wasn't there yet. There was still a lot of polyfilling happening that we would have had to work through. Um, so it just wasn't it wasn't the right fit for the time we were making the decision. Cool. And it's okay, I kind of wanted to back up and ask a quick question to help give people context. Sure. Um, why did you open source this? I know you said there's a lot of people like outside of the United States. Mm. I say that because we're all based here. But yeah. why why open source it? Who else is using it? And um, Sure. Um, so Enyo has always been open source. We've always treated ourselves as, a, as an open source team and wanting to work in the open. And ACT actually wasn't for quite a while, for its probably first year and some change of development. And I don't, I don't really have a, a, a good explanation for why that was. I think we, just, we didn't feel like we were ready to answer questions about how it was working for the most part. Because that makes sense. So- do, you, do you find that you get a lot of input from the community and, and is that valuable to having it open source or do you just like doing it out in the open? Uh, we don't get a lot of feedback, which is part of the reason why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, we really want more feedback from the community. We want, we want to, people to be using it and telling us like, you know, what's working and what's not. How can we, how can we contribute back? That's, that's important to me and by extension, the team. <laughs> because of, I think, the, the niche that we're serving, this you know, cons- embedded consumer electronics devices place. It's um, a niche space. Yeah, there's not, there's not as many people looking to do that. But I think that there are aspects of the framework that we've built that really could be compelling to people building any kind of app. And so we want to try to get more adoption and you know, contribute back to the ecosystem, give, give back to engineers, and then help hopefully through their usage, make a better product. Cool. Makes sense. Yeah. So do you guys get a lot of contributions back from the community? We haven't much. We've gotten a little more from Enyo because it's been around for a while. And so there was a, there was a, a more of a community around that, particularly for those uh, diehard WebOS fans that were still out there trying to crank out apps. Yeah. Um, but in ACT, we haven't had a whole lot of traction. We've gotten you know, a handful of issues, but I don't, I don't actually think we've gotten any external PRs yet, which is you know, unfortunate. Okay, so let's say I want to build an app not for the TV. Is this not, should I not use this? Or is this an app I could use, I could build anything I want? Like, So you, you totally can use it for any kind of app. There's nothing that prevents you. 
my hesitation for making it available for anything is that our primary UI library, so what all our components are, are designed for the TV. Okay. So they're designed for that 10-foot experience. And so, you know, the buttons will look probably pretty big on a phone because they're not designed for a phone. They're designed for a TV. Yeah. Um, but that, that space of what I've sort of dubbed as like an arm's length experience. So like robots and tablets and home automation, that kind of space, that's, that's a UI space that we're actively working on right now to build the UI libraries to support that. And so mm-hmm. as that matures, I think that'll be a much more compelling UI library for app developers than the, the Moonstone product, which is our TV UI library. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So... If you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. So let's talk a little bit about what is under the hood with, with an act, if we can. Like I know with React, and when you're building a React stack, you get to make a large amount of decisions on what your stack is made up of, right? Mm-hmm. So an act sounds like it's made a bunch of these decisions for me, which I honestly appreciate things that will, that will make decisions for people. Um, and so what are some of the decisions you've made? Like, what are the decisions you've made around like the router and, 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 and some of the other things that are core to making it an app um, in React? Go ahead and, and explain some of that too. Sure. So I think one sort of architectural pattern that we've chosen that the framework use hevel- uses heavily and we encourage in the app space is centered around using higher order components. So I know that there's a lot of attention on render props now. That's a really common approach. And there's nothing that prevents you from using that. But uh, we've seen a lot of value in the, both the framework and the apps around using higher order components to build apps. So um, there's a whole host of them built into the framework that you can easily then plug into your apps. Anything from, you know, there's some really simple state ones where if you have a component that is toggleable. There's a there's a hawk that you can just wrap around your component and it manages the state for you. It does. There's a lot of those kind of capabilities. Did you build that, or is that like? A, did you pull that from the community? Like, let's let's isolate that little piece. That kind of state stuff. Are you guys? Did you pull on Redux, or did you guys build your own state piece? Like, what is? Sure. What is that? Um, so for everything that's in an act, it's all stuff that we built, and it's all using React state. We're not using any external state stuff within the framework itself. We actually haven't made any decisions in the data space yet within the framework. We've we've intentionally left that out because we felt like there was already a lot of work already done in the community for that. And we didn't feel like we were going to be adding a lot. So Enact doesn't prescribe it for me. No, no. Okay. We most of our most of our TV apps use Redux. They've had they've had good luck with it. Um, I know some folks on on my team have looked at MobX and they're pretty excited about what it does too. So okay. we haven't made those decisions, but we've tried to make sure that we work well with any of that. Yeah, no, I think that's appropriate. So it sounds like 
you're taking the things you can and bringing them in, but you're also making, allowing people to make some of those decisions, especially around bigger, already solved things like state and stuff. Yeah. I think one of the things that we tried to focus on, especially with our, our history in Enya, where we had to build everything, is we tried to limit the things we built in an act to places where we felt like we were going to add value and not just write it because it wasn't, because we wanted to make it ourselves. Yeah. And so we tried to push back on any cases where we had this really great idea, but it really just overlaps with something that already exists. Let's, let's try to reuse what's already out there as much as we can, unless we, we have a new perspective on the problem. Okay. So I'm kind of getting a vision in my head of what an act is then. It sounds like it's a, um, a container that, inc- that, that provides for me a build, right? So you're giving me a webpack-ish uh, yep. thing going. Is it yep. it's webpack, I'm guessing, yeah? Yep. And you're giving me some, some out-of-the-box boilerplate for a new project, yeah? Yeah. And so you're giving me some build stuff. You're giving me some boilerplate stuff and some pattern stuff. Uh, it sounds like the bulk of what your team is building, though, is is a significantly powerful component library to go along with that. Is that is that where most of your team is spending their time is on the component library? Yeah, I would say that that that's true. So we've we've designed an act with in layers. So there's a set of capabilities that are sort of the core, where we have things like focus management, which is a a surprisingly complicated problem to solve to be able to navigate, you know, an application. With you know, you think about your remote control and the directional controls on there to be able to just navigate an app intuitively using those without prescribing. You know, when you hit right, go to this button to build that kind of logic into it. So there's a component called Spotlight that does all of that work for us. There's a so because LG ships TVs all over the world, we have some very significant internationalization requirements. Yeah, um, and we use um, there's a another open source project called iLib that has really really robust um, i18n support, and so we've built integration with that in order to build i18n support into all of our components. Yeah, and so then, you guys have heavy. It, you're kind of prescribing to people, hey, do i18n. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's like part of what Enact is. It sounds like is yeah, you're I eighteen and heavy. Yeah, and so like from the the Moonstone library, which is our TV centric UI library, it has you know built in support within the components for accessibility, for internationalization, for mm. for voice control on the TV. So that all the all those capabilities are basically done for you out of the box, which is really nice. The thing that we've tried to do and really was our focus for our 2.0 version is we took, you know, all that investment we made into Moonstone and building out that component library. And we kind of like split it apart. We took all the sort of base capabilities and pulled them out into a, a UI layer that is composed by the Moonstone. So there's, if there's a, you know, a Moonstone button, there's a UI button. And the goal of that was then to be able to build things like that arm's length UI library I talked about. We can build any number of other themed UI experiences off the same capabilities just using component composition. Um, and so that's, I think, one of the big uh, strengths of an act that we're trying to build on now over the next you know, couple of years is how can, we, how can we make an act available to new experiences based upon all this common logic we extracted out from our experience? And is it, is it pretty, you, you talked a little about themes. Is it pretty themable so I don't have to like, Material design, sometimes people give it a bad rap because, or bootstrap because every app looks the same. Is it pretty themable or is it, is it kind of suffering from that same type of, you're just changing a couple colors here and there yeah. type themes? Moonstone is not very themable by design. Um, so if you think about wanting to build an app for 
a particular device, you, you would expect them, every app on the TV to look like an app on the TV. So it's, it's by choice that you don't get a lot of flexibility on how the apps look because we want, them, we want consistency on WebOS TVs. The UI layer is actually almost entirely unstyled. Okay. And so it, it has this sort of interesting theming capability that we built in to it that allows us to build those new uh, UI layers on top of it for specific experiences. Hmm. Well, cool. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to let other people ask some questions. I've, I've kind of bogarted the show and um, Amy and Chris and Joe, do you guys have any questions before I keep going? I don't think so. Like most of the basic questions you really covered. Well, I think I got a good handle on it. I don't know. It's a wild project. I can't imagine myself building any TV apps in the next little while though. <laughs> no, <I'm great. laughs> Yeah, for me, you know, honestly, I think one of the things I really um, be for, I guess, for me, more than the specific tech around this, the thing I'm I'm probably more interested in is um, as both someone who manages open source projects and someone who oftentimes has to build or tries to build tools that I want other folks in kind of a distributed nature to work with. Is um, I'd love to maybe explore a little bit more around. Um, I guess around the process of how you um, how you make decisions around kind of what types of includes, uh components to include versus not. Um, I know you've already kind of covered a little bit of this as, as you got into some of your specific tech choices, but you know, like what goes in versus out. How much flexibility does someone working with the platform actually have, and why? Um, even more interesting to me, are there any particular challenges you've faced? kind of managing project like this as an open source project, you know, and if you guys feel like this is totally derailed in the wrong direction, please let me know. But I just, I don't know, the open source space is really interesting. And yeah. um, this is a pretty ambitious project. <laughs> uh, so I'll answer your question from maybe a slightly different perspective, because as I said, we haven't had the same, we haven't had the open source distributions mm-hmm. that we had, that we're hoping for, but we do have similar discussions on what we include in the framework from our app teams. So they're building all these apps and they have ideas about what should and shouldn't be in the framework. And, you know, those are difficult conversations to have to try to make sense of what really belongs. Yeah. Um, and, and actually, that's, that's something that I've sort of internalized from my early involvement in the project. So before I was part of the team, I had made, you know, some suggestions on things that made PRs to include into Enyo. And I remember getting pushback on some of them going, you know, this really isn't the kind of thing we think should be in there. And up until that point, it, it never really occurred to me. I'm just like, well, I have this idea and I can fix this thing. I can add something. Let's do it. Um, but it's a it's a struggle to know what what belongs in a framework. And so we have a lot of discussions about API design and, and component design as as far as, you know, is this the sort of thing that we think all of our apps should do. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times, just because we can do something, we, we don't. And that's, that's a tough one to, to figure out. And I don't know that we always get it right. Yeah, well, so, and I, I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking back to some, some of the challenges I've had. I've, I've worked at a couple of companies now where they've tried to standardize around either like a pattern library or some kind of tool set. And, um, and it's always been in situations where you've had a handful of disparate teams who had up to this point, kind of been managing and working on their own, yeah. their own thing and getting, I guess, finding that common ground around here's the stuff we need and here's what the thing that we want to replace what you're already doing with that, you know, so like kind of finding that, finding that commonality was always really hard. And then just kind of, I guess, c- 
convincing people to use the thing over what they're already doing. And I don't know, maybe this isn't necessarily the internal use case you were struggling with, Ryan, but one of the things in, in both of these situations that we've struggled with is multiple different product units brought in through acquisition. And we ultimately want all these products to look the same and behave similarly because they all fall under company umbrella. Um, but you've got product teams that have been kind of operating in their silos or standalone companies for a long time. And there's just so much internal resistance. So did you or have you encountered that? And if so, how did you get around it? And it's totally cool if the answer is we're still struggling with it, but I'm just, I've never seen a company do it really, really well. And if you have some sort of like secret magic, I'd love to know what it is. Uh, well, unlike Joe, I'm not part ninja, so I don't have any secret magic. <laughs> it's too bad because I wish I did. I, just um, do it. I could teach you. That'd be great. He's less ninja than he lets on, though. <laughs> He's overselling his ninja. Yeah, I'm. I'm a fraction ninja. You know, I just don't specify what fraction. Oh, yeah. Good call. Uh, so internally, you know, our our biggest struggle, I think, is so there's there's like a, a group of folks that use Qt. I don't know if, if you guys are familiar with that. It's a it's a compiled language. I don't I don't actually know. All yeah, that. yeah. It's a it's a isn't it for game development? I think it, it has a whole bunch of stuff. I'm, I was actually surprised at the breadth that they cover. Um, okay. But there, there is a, there's a chunk of WebOS that's actually built on Qt and not built on Enact for reasons. Like, I, I don't even know them all because most of them predate me. That's a, that's a relatively common struggle for us. And I think another one that maybe is a little closer to your example is the migration from Enyo to Enact. So we had a framework that, that worked and solved the problems that the developers had. And then we said, well, we're going to give you something else, which, you know, everyone loves to migrate. That's their favorite activity. Uh, <laughs> of course. And so, you know, trying to convince people to, to move from the thing that they're used to into, you know, all the work to rewrite it. And then the cognitive load to understand this new model, because going from Enya, which was very much an imperative uh, programming model, even though there were declarative aspects of it, to React, which is very much declarative and imperative is very uncommon, um, that, that was hard to do. And I think, I think the thing that we've had the most success with is trying to eliminate friction. So we tried really hard uh, in building an act to make it as easy as possible to do the 80% use case. And so you didn't, you didn't have to specify a bunch of props for components, if you if you just needed a button, you just used a button. You didn't have to. There wasn't any required parameters for things. It was just you just can just use it all. And tried to think about for all those really interesting use cases that needed to do weird things that only sort of expected to provide lower level APIs to let you get at that. But that for the most part, apps could just use the stuff out of the box and it worked exactly how it was supposed to. Which you know, being opinionated about uh, design and layout helps with that because you don't have to make those decisions because they're done for you. So I think that that's, that's been our most success is that we've we tried to make an act as easy to use as possible, especially in those like higher level themed UI layers where we can be more opinionated about how a view looks and how buttons look and how things are arranged on the page. That We try not to give too many options that you have to fight over it. Just you just get you get what you get, which some people will hate because they they want a particular UI, and we have those kinds of struggles with UI designers that have a particular vision for their app that isn't necessarily perfectly in line with the rest of the design. Yeah, that that doesn't happen very often, though. Yeah, like I'm guessing mostly it, mostly it's good. Or we have a fair amount of niche UI cases that 
we don't account for. And so there'll be, we'll get requests. I mean, not, not weekly, but regularly where they want component X to do whatever. And we say, you know, it, it's not going to do that. But what we, what we can give you, if you really want to do it that way, here's how you can do it. And here's, here's how you can, you know, sort of re, rebuild this component in your own way or how you can customize it. But um, mm-hmm. try to avoid the prop bloat that can happen when you want to make everything configurable for a component. Gotcha. Well, cool. Um, I think I got all my questions answered. I know what, I think I know what an act is now. Yay. <laughs> it worked. If anyone has questions, now would be the time. Otherwise we shall move on to. Pins. I'm good. Joe's good. Yeah. I think that's it for me. Thanks. Hey guys, let me tell you about clubhouse. I swear I've used every project management software there is out there and I hated project management software. Now I have clubhouse. Overall, it's simple and straightforward to use, but it has enough of the integrations and power features you need to get the job done without getting confusing. This means that I can use it and the non-technical members of my team can figure out what they need from it. It also makes it easy for me to zoom out and see what's going on overall before zooming back in and specifying more work that needs to be done or picking in the next task for me to tackle. They integrate with all the systems that you'd expect and have a REST API for, well, the rest. If you go to HTTPS clubhouse.io slash JSJabber, you can get two months free instead of the standard 14-day trial for any team size. Once again, that's HTTPS clubhouse.io slash JSJabber. Let's move on to some picks. Anyone want to kick off the pick section? Sure, I will. Go ahead, Joe. Um, I just got one pick right now. Uh, I kickstarted, this is for you D&D players out there, so Chris, take note. All right, you'll want to... (laughs) because <laughs> uh, i'll have you converted soon anyway uh i kickstarted this book on it was like a list of monsters uh with a really interesting sort of flavor to them they were called it's called the monsters of Feyland. is the name of the book mm. really awesome book uh has a really cool art style so i highly suggest that if you have an opportunity you're looking for something new look for monsters of Feyland. you can get it in pdf i believe i kickstarted it some i got a pdf and i'm getting a hard book bound book but it was pretty cool great art style really fun thing just had a bunch of really cool unique ideas like instead of the standard unicorn they had the black unicorn and the green unicorn and all that sort of stuff was pretty cool Hmm. so those are my picks or that's my Hmm. pick my one pick it's your pick my pick all right chris Nice. Yeah. A uh, couple this week. Um, the first, uh, my buddy Eric Bailey gave a um, presentation up at a A11Y Toronto or Accessibility Toronto conference um, a month or two ago and his slides are online. His talk was on um, how if something's interactive, it needs a focus style. Uh, I'd recommend you go through it if accessibility is something that um, you either don't know a lot about or you struggle with, or if you're one of those many, many people who thinks focus styles are ugly and should be removed or worked around, really lays out a good use case for why they're both awesome and don't have to be ugly as sin. So definitely recommend checking that out. The second pick for me, uh, I just recently picked up, um, I think it's from, I think the name of the company is Jimu, J-I-M-U. I'm probably butchering the pronunciation, but um, they make robots, really cool plastic, snap them together kind of robots with servos that you can control from an app and you can code using this really interesting kind of GUI drag and drop interface. Um, And as someone who loves to make things, but kind of sucks at like physically building stuff and, and like working with my hands. And that's, that's why I'm a web developer because I like, I can't do woodworking or plumbing or anything like that. But 
for me, it was a really cool way to get into robotics. Um, I picked up this kit called Astrobot that um, ends up looking like Wally when it's all done. Um, you can manually drive it around the house or put it in self-driving mode and it'll move around obstacles and stuff. So it's, um, it's, it's pretty rad if, uh, if you like robots. And then similarly, my last pick um, is the movie WALL-E. If you've never seen it, it is, in my opinion, the greatest movie in the Pixar canon. Just an absolutely beautiful um, bit of storytelling. And uh, if you haven't seen it, it came out like 15 years ago, um, but it's, uh, it, it still holds up. It's potentially more relevant now than ever. I agree with that pick. That's a very good movie. That's a good pick. Yeah, good pick. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, that's it for me. All right, uh, Amy. You got yield picks or do you want me to go? Uh, I'll go. So um, I'm not going to pick a link to anything. I'm just going to pick my coworkers at NPM because they're absolutely incredible. Uh, so I've been here like a little bit over a week now. And yeah, they are amazing, amazing, amazing folks. So, yep, that's what I'm going to pick. <laughs> I'm, cool. I, it, it's hard to, I don't know, it's hard to put it into words. Um, they're very, very, very empathetic. And I appreciate that in people. That's awesome. I pick, I got, I got so many picks. It's been a while since I was on. Yeah, Chris. You're going to pick what we did. You, you got like 30 picks just squirreled away. Since oh my time. gosh, dude. As you guys are talking, I'm like pickville. Um, so I'm going to make a couple picks here. The first pick, I'm going to pick pierogies. Okay. So pierogies are. You're Polish. Are you Polish? <laughs> They're Polish, Polish dumplings. All right. All right. <laughs> my mom makes these. So I go to, I go to Angular Poland. Uh, NG Poland a few weeks ago. The people, they want to treat me right. I'm like, dude, just I just want food, okay? I just want the food that you eat here. I don't want to go to some fancy restaurant. I want the food that people eat. So they take me to get pierogies and it blew my mind. Uh, fantastic. If you, if you're ever... I, I'm the, I want a pierogi now. Yeah, if you're ever in uh, Warsaw or even close abouts, go get some pierogies. That's pick number one pierogies, okay? I'm going to pick number two. I got to pick the cursed child. I was in London, took my daughters a few weeks ago, and um, we got lucky enough to get some last minute tickets to the Harry Potter play, the cursed child. And uh, mm, fantastic. I'm not going to ruin the story because uh, hashtag save the secrets, keep the secrets. I think it's keep the secrets. But there's a character named Scorpius that was the dude who's playing Scorpius in London is just... He was fabulous and um, so many cool things about that play. So those are gonna be my two picks. I'll, I'll save the rest of my picks. I could keep going, but, but yeah, those are my two picks. So let's go to Ryan J. Right. I've got probably a lot of picks too, but I'll just pick a couple. So one is an act because I have to pick an act because it's an act. Yeah. You should all use it. Um, <laughs> but seriously, you should use it and give us some feedback because we want to know about it. That's one. Another, so I um, took over as uh, manager on the team in like January. So I'm new to engineering management and trying not to ruin people's lives and make everyone enjoy working on the team. So one of the the books I'm listening to right now is called Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. And it talks about decision-making and bias. And it's been really eye-opening for me sort to think about interviewing and, you know, making product management decisions. And so it's, it's something I definitely recommend to read. And for another open source project that, that I've contributed to and I think is, is a great community is the Firefox DevTools. It's a really intriguing project. They're, they're using React to build the debugger and they're a really inclusive community and they've got some great folks working on it. So definitely a shout out to Jason Laster and company there. Cool. 
Awesome. Well, it sounds like that's the show. So um, thanks for coming, Ryan. It was it was fun getting to learn from you and learn about you. So and thanks for all you do for the open source community. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thank you. Peace. See ya. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit c a c h e f l y dot com to learn more.